to the November 9th edition of Global Nashville with Carl Dean. I'm Patrick Bryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. This evening, former Nashville Mayor Carl Dean will talk with Ralph Schultz, president and chief executive officer of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. Mr. Schultz has been a Global Nashville regular, this being his third evening as a guest, and this summer he joined the program as a guest host. Last year, on the first Global Nashville program after the onset of COVID-19, he was asked, how was business in Nashville prior to the pandemic? He said, the business and the economy for this whole region was just exploding in a positive way. We were one of the first cities in the country to come out of the recession and really for almost about 10 years, we've been seeing a meteoric rise in jobs, a meteoric rise in population. And so just prior to the pandemic, everything looked pretty rosy and with high momentum going forward into the future. Now, this evening, we'll again explore where that future is and more. Ralph Schultz was named president and CEO of the National Area Chamber of Commerce in November 2006, following a 30-year career in nonprofit management, marketing, and fundraising. In taking the position, he accepted a leadership role at one of Middle Tennessee's oldest and largest business federations, an organization dating back to its founding in 1847. Good evening, Mayor Dean, and welcome, Mr. Schultz. Hi, Patrick. Pat, thanks. Ralph, thank you. And Ralph, I um, first let me thank you for being a guest host this summer. I feel a little bit like Johnny Carson that, you know, people come in and take over and I, you know, on like endless vacation, but that's, that's good. And I, I appreciate your help with that. And I feel like Ed McMahon. <laughs> hey um, let me start off with this. Um, What's your sense of where we are in Nashville, business-wise and otherwise, with COVID? Are we? Are you seeing light, or do you think we're we're we're, we're out of this, or we still got a ways to go? Well, I think we, based on the business activity that we're seeing, and based on the economic development activity we're seeing, I would tell you that from an economic development perspective. We, we are almost back to where we were in February of 2020. Um, we have over 50 prospects in the pipeline. Some of those are expansions. Some of those are relocations. Uh, the one thing that's a little different from February 2020 is that we're seeing a little more industrial interest in the Middle Tennessee area and a little not less, but the proportion of, of office is below industrial. So in February 2020, we had more office type relocation or expansion going on and less industrial, and now we see more industrial. As far as the rest of it goes, I mean, we're rapidly seeing people returning to workspace and to office areas. Um, and uh, you know, the sense is that we're definitely on the on, on the on the downhill slope. I'll just tell you from a chamber perspective, uh, this fall is just like every fall that I've I've been around before. It is it economically we're in a in a really good place. Um, I just I just mentioned one thing there. When you measure the restoration of jobs as we pull out of COVID, Nashville is within 10,000 jobs of the, pre, the previous level in February, 2020. That 
that is one of the top 10 in the country for recovery. So it is, you know, we're seeing a rapid return to work and then uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, recently, and you can tell us exactly when, but recently the chamber um, issued or you issued a statement, I, I, speaking for the chamber about uh, pandemic related uh, mandates and the business community saying the national area chamber supports preserving businesses' ability to maintain their diversity, flexibility, and innovation in dealing with COVID-19. Um, when was the statement issued? Why was it issued? And what, what issue are you trying to respond to or, or comment on? Well, we, we issued a statement just prior to the beginning of the second special session, which was called to deal specifically with uh, COVID-related issues. And we made that statement because, first of all, we had polled our membership and polled businesses, and we found that 60% of the businesses didn't want any mandate at all. They wanted to be able to manage their business environment as they felt necessary. There are some businesses that really rely on a high level of safety and control from their perspective. They're, they wanna protect their employees, they wanna protect their customers, and they wanna project that uh, to their customer base. And then there are other businesses that don't feel that those uh, mandates apply to their operations or their circumstances. Maybe it might be a manufacturer that has very great separation of employees. So businesses overwhelmingly told us that they didn't want anybody to apply any mandates. And of course, the federal government has issued the, an, an OSHA regulation that would compel uh, a certain level of uh, of vaccination and, and so forth. And we knew that the state legislature was gonna feel the need to respond to that. And we made our statement in hopes that um, businesses wouldn't be, wouldn't be put in a position where they had to make a judgment with regards to a federal requirement and a state requirement that might be in conflict. It's that kind of uncertainty and that kind of exposure that businesses just really, really struggle with. So we were among the many business organizations that were at the, at the special session to uh, encourage um, the legislature not to establish any kind of mandate uh, legislation. So do you feel, I mean, does business feel, whether in Nashville or nationwide that you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. You have the federal government um, saying, you know, test, take back, you know, we, everybody needs to be vaccinated. And then the state government through the legislature is sort of taking the position, don't tell anybody what to do and, you know, don't, don't mandate a lot of uh, safety things. Do you feel like you're just caught between two different levels of government telling you what to do and their conflicting messages? Yeah, I think it creates ambiguity and businesses like to be able to predict, push forward with certainty, know the rules, honor the rules and move on. And when you've got two different sets of rules and you're trying to make a choice, you're just in an awkward position. The ambiguity just 
can potentially freeze a business and businesses want to recover fast, especially small business. You know, there are a lot of different environments, a lot of different small business variables that, um, you know, that, that, that non-identical policy creates a real question for those businesses and they don't have the resources to necessarily uh, define that, uh, to define that ambiguity. So yeah, it's, it's awkward. I mean, we saw what was happening in Texas before we saw the position that businesses were in at that point. We understand that state legislature wants to protect the individual right and freedom to make that choice. But from a business perspective, businesses we felt should be free to make those choices as they needed to. So how do you feel the, the session went? Well, I think that the legislature made a lot of adjustments to the original bill and the original material that was helpful to relieving some of the ambiguity, particularly as it related to things like federal contract contracts and you know adherence to the federal law when it would have placed the business in great jeopardy. But you know, we heard from our businesses that they would like to have seen nothing happen. <laughs> they would they would have liked to see the full ability to make that determination on their own. So you know, there again, Carl. There's there's still undefined space. The issue of private action uh, and the ability to bring private action against a business just creates risk and ambiguity that a lot of businesses would like to avoid. Yeah, I mean, it seems at this particular junction uh, in history that you have a business getting it from both sides. You've got Democrats one way, Republicans the other way, but all telling you what to do. Yeah, and you know how business is. They, they like to be able to drive their business as they see fit. It's one of the reasons that Tennessee is such an attractive um, location for businesses. There's the geography, but it's a business-friendly environment where they have a lot of independence to operate as they need to. And, you know, there were, there were some that were some businesses, a lot of businesses, 60% of our businesses were concerned that that was going to restrict their ability to operate independently. Okay. Can you tell um, our viewers, um, what is Partnership 2030? Um, and, you know, the, of course, the history of that, it goes back for quite a while and there's Partnership 2020, 2015 so on and so forth, but just explain what it is and, and, and what do you hope to accomplish with uh, Partnership 2030? Well, in 1989, Wall Street Journal wrote an article that said the cities of the South are on the rise and Nashville's being left behind. And so the business community didn't feel that that was acceptable and they got together and they said, what we're missing is a plan. So in the early 1990s, they undertook the first five-year plan for economic development of the region, which was largely Davidson County at that point in time. And that coincided with the election of Phil Bredesen, who was very focused on creating the civic furniture that would cause downtown Nashville to be an epicenter of economic vitality. So when that 
public-private partnership occurred, great success was realized uh, beginning really about the year 2000. And then of course, you know, in, in your term as mayor, there was just an explosion of that economic development. But every five years since 1990, a new plan has been created. And if you track back on the things that have caused Nashville to have this vitality, you'll see a direct correlation between the plans and what was undertaken. So Partnership 2030 is the seventh iteration of five-year plans. And what we know about the future is that at the end of this five years, we will likely have grown 224,000 jobs in this region. Compare that to 530,000 jobs in the first 30 years of partnership, and half of that number will be achieved in the next five years. Uh, we expect the GDP to continue to grow at double the rate of the national uh, GDP rate. Uh, we expect the population of the region to go up probably 200,000 uh, people at the same time. The essence of all of that is that that just expands opportunity for everyone in this region. So as we look at the critical elements that need to be worked on and the critical elements that help us continue to expand that opportunity, we see managing growth is a big issue. So things like infrastructure, education, affordable housing, childcare, uh, all of those things are critical to maintaining a quality of life in this area. And when we have a good quality of life, we have a strong workforce. And when we have a strong workforce, job creators want to put their, their jobs here. So um, there's a real focus on talent development and workforce development in the next five years. And I think longer, Carl, I, you know, the birth rate, is is low and therefore doesn't provide people or 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 uh, future workforce that even replaces the retirement of the boomer generation and so it is really important to maintain a quality of life that is a magnet that retains and draws skilled people to the area one last thing we did some we've done some studies over the last five years and we find that there are people in the community, the regional community that have ambition and have ability that doesn't necessarily, their skills don't necessarily match the jobs that are being created. So over the next five years, you're going to see a real emphasis on creating opportunity for that population because they're here, they're going to stay here. And if they can be equipped to benefit from this future economy, then everybody wins. You can call it economic inclusion. You can call it deep prosperity as we do. But that's going to be a real focal point uh, for the next five to 10 years. What do you see as um, the future of downtown um, in terms of coming out of COVID? Um, People have obviously left the office, gone home to work. Um, people are coming back, but at different paces and uh, around the country and, and, and different parts of the world. And our downtown seems to be, I think, expanding. 
that people, you know, the core downtown that probably you and I would talk about in, um, you know, around 2008 or nine is different than what it is now. I mean, it's, it's, it's an expanded area. Do you see downtown workers all returning and that the old traditional offices um, continue and that downtown expands uh, out further um, from the from the historical core? Yeah, anybody that's come south on I-65 past Trinity Lane headed toward downtown can clearly see a skyline that has expanded from the river to midtown. It is it is a sea change from what it used to be. When we, when we talk to businesses about remote work and their remote work policies, we're finding that a lot of businesses are encouraging a full return uh, to, to the workspace. But even those that are building remote work into their plans are building it in in, a, in sort of a partial way. That is, uh, workers will still be coming into, uh, coming into office space. As far as economic development goes, downtown's still a hit. I mean, it is, it is, it continues to be an epicenter of businesses that want to locate in the center of the region. It gives them kind of a radius of exposure to, uh, to workforce throughout. So, you know, honestly, I felt that things like transportation access uh, would be somewhat of an inhibitor to downtown development, but that hasn't materialized. There continues to be a lot of interest in, uh, in downtown development. I think one of the things we have to manage better, though, is that balance of live, work, and play. Um, you know, there's no question that tourism is booming in the downtown area. We've seen some outward migration of businesses uh, from the, the vicinity of Broadway for a variety of reasons, many of which are related to access, noise, various other factors. And so it's going to be important to preserve in downtown that balance that fits residents, fits businesses, and fits visitors all in the appropriate measure. And right now, you know, there's just, there's a need to, to impact that balance uh, so that people who live there and people who work there are comfortable being in that space as well. Right. The um, president recently signed a bill, uh, the big infrastructure bill, providing uh, a lot of funding for infrastructure. What's your thought about particularly that bill? What is the chamber's position on infrastructure? And what's your thought about the infrastructure needs for Nashville to remain economically viable? Well, I know that you know the infrastructure needs of this city deeply. Um, you know, there's kind of, there's a need for infrastructure work across the board, whether it's water, sewer, whether it's transportation. Um, there's no question that if we're going to keep pace and make this a keep this a place that is a desirable place to be attention needs to be given to infrastructure now as we look at the uh, the infrastructure bill we're hopeful that there is an opportunity for aggressive pursuit 
of mobility um, uh, mobility features or mobility possibilities. You know, since the um, the referendum in 2018, many organizations around the community have continued to explore what might fulfill the mobility needs of Nashville. And, and we're hopeful that this federal bill, that there is an opportunity for us to be, to receive a, a, a chunk of that investment that helps us get started on building that mobility infrastructure. Um, without dedicated funding, um, it, it is, it, it's gonna be a challenge. I mean, every local, every locality is gonna be expected to invest from their funds into an infrastructure solution, but perhaps with the uh, with the federal money, uh, we'll see more opportunity to to establish that transportation infrastructure. And look, it's a big deal. You know, the connection of people to jobs. You can't talk about affordable housing without talking about uh, mobility infrastructure too. It's it's just part of the solution. So as jobs are created and people want access to those jobs and employers want access to employees, mobility is a big deal. And especially, especially with people who have an income issue in their household, it can be an important part of the solution. One of the things uh, you've been a, a big supporter of um, the world of World Affairs Council and um, involvement with world affairs as a city. Um, the Japanese ambassador was recently here um, and spoke uh, to an event sponsored by the World Affairs Council and others, including the chamber. Um, what's the importance of uh, hosting folks like the ambassador from Japan here in Nashville? Well, hosting the ambassador of Japan in Nashville and applause to the World Affairs Council for, for creating that opportunity. But having the, the Japanese ambassador to visit Nashville just validates again, the global nature of Nashville's economy. Um, when an ambassador who, who, is, who is part of the global uh, enterprise of diplomacy visits Nashville, uh, it both signals the importance of Nashville in, on the global stage, but it also creates an opportunity for that ambassador, Japanese or not, to promote what they see in Nashville as well. As well. So the World Affairs Council bringing the Japanese ambas uh, ambassador to Nashville, we were happy to be a sponsor of that trip. But for the World Affairs Council to bring a Japanese ambassador to town it just creates a global economic presence for Nashville that can't be uh, created in any other way. How would you characterize what um, foreign direct investment means to Nashville in this region? How important is that for something for the chamber and for the city to focus on? Well, look, if you go all the way back to the 1970s and the 1980s, uh, when Nissan chose uh, this area to create an automotive plant, um, you can see that that puts our region on an entirely different list. Japan is the number 
one foreign direct investor in the state of Tennessee. And the state of Tennessee is the number one foreign ind direct investment site for Japan in this country. So when that happens, it makes people aware that we have a great geographic location. We have a great business friendly um, atmosphere. We have a quality of life that employees and employers like to, to, to be a part of. And when you have that foreign direct investment here, it draws attention again on a global basis. So whether it's Canada, Mexico, France, uh, the UK, um, people are aware when they see that foreign direct investment that something's up down in Tennessee and Tennessee is a great place to make an investment. Let me ask you about the river. Um, I think during COVID, there has certainly been a lot of activity along the Cumberland River, some big news with Oracle and others. Your thoughts about where we're gonna be uh, in terms of river side development, east side, west side, whatever, in the, in the next couple of years? You know, again, I, I, I feel like we're having a conversation when you were the mayor and the importance of the river as a binding influence in, in the community. Um, as Nashville now has begun to expand even further and the, the density and the intensity of Nashville continues to, uh, to take hold, the river is becoming more and more seen as a center feature of the, of the city, both recreationally and from a development perspective. So as we see developers that are beginning to, to, to plot development along the riverfront from really West Nashville all the way to, to Opryland uh, on the east side, they are thinking about their developments as providing public access to the river. They're going to improve that public access to the river, and it's going to create a great living environment, but it's also going to create a great uh, recreational environment. And a lot of that development of the recreational space will be undertaken by those developers. So I think you're going to see the river really open up as a resource and the access to the river really open up for residents. Um, here's just a couple quick responses I'd like to get from you. What do you think is gonna happen with uh, baseball in Nashville? Well, I would, I would tell you that um, over the years, just about every year I would get a call from Major League Baseball and they would say, what do you think are the chances for Major League Baseball? And I would ask them how much funding were they looking for to make it happen? And they would say something like a billion and a half dollars. And I'd say, don't think we're ready yet. But the people that are bringing the major league idea to town now are thinking very differently from that. And so I think the odds of major league baseball coming to Nashville at a future date are pretty positive. But there's an awful lot that goes into a decision like that and I, so I think it's probably a five to 10 year kind of a project. Uh -huh. I know that Major League Baseball, the current teams are in recovery mode. They, like so many sports teams, including the Predators. Um, and well, let me just say the Red Sox are not really in recovery mode. They're in a championship mode. In well, I, you know, 
I, I confirm oh, your God. bias. Yeah, I confirm your bias. I'm, I'm a little more of a Braves fan, so it's been a good a year. year. For I, had a better year. <laughs> I, I have to seek out Rich Reveling because I know he's a Cardinals fan. So, you know, it just, uh, this is a good year for Braves. But, but I do want to say that I, I, you know, I think it's in our future. I just think it's going to take a little time and COVID sort of uh, change the timeline a little bit. How important is um, professional football for Nashville? Oh, it's, look, every professional sports team we have in Nashville enhances that quality of life. It promotes the brand. I mean, look at what's happening with the Titans right now. Look at what hap has happened with the Predators. Look at what ha what's happening with the MLS, uh, the Nashville Soccer Club. All of those professional sports teams are projecting Nashville's can-do attitude. I, 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 it's like a global ad for Nashville. Um, you know, sometimes I get a little bit anxious about all of the out-of-town visitors that want to come here, enjoy Nashville, and go to a game. But the reality is that professional sports makes us, you know, a big a big dot on the map. So right. very important. You know, we're a big dot on the map too. I think because of our um, our entertainment about our downtown, I think is one of the more compelling downtowns in the United States, but there's been a lot of controversy, particularly this past summer um, council action uh, regarding um, different forms of transportation downtown that's geared toward tourism, whether it's a party, you know, party whatever vehicle they're using. Uh, how big an issue is that for the, for the city? It, it, it's a big issue. It is, first of all, we wanna be known as a safe place. We want to be known as a place where people of all types can come and enjoy the music and enjoy the entertainment and the vitality of downtown and particularly that Broadway area. And for, for a lot of people, there is concern about all of those things operating in that environment. You know, I, you know I, I'll often reflect on the, flat, the fact that as a grandparent, I go out and buy car seats for my grandkids so that they can be safely strapped into my car. And yet, you know, it is of some concern that there are trailers pulling people around, standing up, having alcohol. And to be honest with you, it just feels unsafe. And we've seen incidents occur as a result of it. So I think it's one of those things that you can still have a great time and be safe and be a part of the action. Um, and, and I think we need to do that, you know, honestly, Carl, uh, you know, it's, it, the boom in tourism around Broadway has brought with it some issues that we need to resolve to maintain the comfort and the spirit of the Broadway area. What, um, looking forward, um, five, 10 years and you're, from your current position and from this current time, um, what are the top three issues confronting our city? If you're trying to pre present a vision of the future, what do we need to be working on? What should be our priorities? Well, education is number one. Um, that's the key to everybody being able to unlock the opportunity that is gathering here. And, uh, you know, we all agree 
that we are not where we want to be in our pre-K-12 uh, system, in our pre-K-12 work. So we've got to start resolving the issues about providing that excellent education that allows a young person to be ready for opportunity when they graduate from high school, whether that means more education or it means a job, they need to be ready to seize that opportunity. I think the second thing is transportation and access, the ability to be connected, you know, whether it's job, whether it's recreation, whether it's housing, uh, it's all connected. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that say, say again, quote a phrase. Yeah, I think quote a phrase. And so that transportation infrastructure is is really key. And then to the degree, degree that we can influence affordable housing, we should. I think Metro's general plan and policy to help create affordable housing, especially along the arteries of Nashville, is a good first step. But we need to encourage people who build housing to be thinking about building affordable housing as well. And then the last thing I'll say is childcare. COVID did a number on childcare facilities and the barrier to entry into childcare is high. A lot of capital investment, a lot of regulatory pressure uh, on, on childcare to, to maintain safety for the kids. And somewhere along the way, I think we're gonna have to encourage the establishment, maybe incent the establishment, the establishment of childcare facilities. Okay. Have I missed anything, Ralph? What, what else is on your mind? What else do you think we ought to be talking about? We're still Music City. You think the music industry is here to stay and feels comfortable here and happy? Yes, I, I think actually the fact that we're Music City and that is such a creative and entrepreneurial business is part of what attracts creative people to Nashville, which is part of what attracts Amazon and Oracle. You know, when a company like Oracle makes a commitment of 8,500 jobs in Nashville, there's another 11,000 jobs that are created in the area just because those 8,500 jobs are created. And one of the great things about Oracle and some of those larger um, IT related organizations is that they are a magnet for talent. People wanna be a part of them and they come here, they stay here, young people aspire to work there. So, you know, I think music is the core of, of that creative ambiance. Entrepreneurship in Nashville, 24% of our GDP, that's about 6% higher than the national average. Right. Music, music stimulates a lot of that. Well, you, you know, you, you talk a lot about attracting creative people to a city and that's the key to sort of its vitality. And I think Nashville, whether it's entrepreneurs in healthcare or whether it's music or whether it's universities, that's one of our great strengths. Are we, um, are we pricing ourselves out of success? Uh, is Nashville become too expensive? Are you worried about the uh, trends in real estate? Are you worried about um, the cost of living uh, indexes? I mean, how, how, are, how are we doing there? Well, it is a, there's no question affordable housing is a challenge. Even people that are moving here from much more expensive cities, I think 
12% of our in-migration is coming from Chicago. There's about 8% of our in-migration coming from each of the two uh, coasts, the East and the West Coast. When they reach here, they can, they can afford housing often that is really good housing, but I often hear that the dollar doesn't buy as much when they get here. And then when you look at young people or people that are at the beginning of a career or re-careering, you know, housing costs are a challenge. And especially when we look at that deep prosperity population, you know, there, there's a need for proximity to jobs and the expanded cost of housing close to the jobs is, is an issue. So yeah, it is, that is something that can keep you up at night. Um, eventually the marketplace will stabilize and steady, but until then, we have a real challenge with that. All right. I mean, back when uh, we were working together on these issues, I mean, Nashville had that great strength where the, you know, the median income in Nashville was higher than the cost of living nationwide. And we were, it's just a sweet spot to be in. And we're, we're not in that spot anymore, but there's different appeals for the city now that we didn't have, you know, 10 years ago too. I mean, the city clearly is just booming. Um, well, thank at the, you. At the moment, people are willing to sacrifice to be here. Um, but, you know, that's a band that, that, that the requirement to sacrifice to be here is something you'd like to eliminate, both for people that are already here and the people that are coming here. Right. But then you add on top of that, I think you can also say that the cost of living in Tennessee and in Nashville in many ways is just lower than most places. I mean, you know, and, and the business climate, of course, is so friendly that there are a lot of benefits to being in Nashville, despite the fact that it's now a little bit higher cost of living here than it was before. Look, we are still one of the lowest tax burden cities in the country. So, you know, that alone is a big feature. The state of Tennessee, the state of Tennessee and Nashville are seen as stable areas, stable government, stable finances, stable areas. So, you know, all of those things are a part of the complexion when somebody's thinking about coming here to live or to put their business here. I had breakfast a couple of weeks ago with a company that moved their, their business here from California. They make capital investment in new businesses. Mm -hmm. When I said, why'd you move here? They said, A, it's a great location. B, you have great education institutions. And C, it just got too hard in California. Yeah. So. Well, it's still an attractive place to be. And, um, but, you know. That's why you got to work at your job. You got a lot of uh, things to keep uh, balls in the air and things to keep an eye on. Uh, Pat, do you have any questions? I do. Uh, I've got a couple. We haven't seen any come in from the audience, but uh, I wanted to ask Ralph, um, hope this doesn't put you on the spot, but if you could highlight one business in Nashville that has invested not only in building their organization, but in contributing to the well-being of the city, who would it be and why? And you could pick more than one if you don't want to put anybody on the spot, but uh, is, is there anybody who's doing a great job of, of being a good citizen in, in Nashville? 
uh, that would be a long list. It would be hard <laughs> to isolate uh, isolate one. But I, I, to comment on that, Patrick, I, I have to say to you that in the last five or six years, we have seen new entries into Nashville coming into Nashville with the awareness that they have to make an investment here, that they need to be a part of the leadership, that they need to be engaged. I think one of the great features of Nashville is that when you look at community leadership, these aren't people that hand over checks or delegate to someone else what needs to be done. That community leadership is at the table together doing the actual work. So, you know, as you look at Oracle bringing some of their education resource into the area, as you look at Amazon making contributions to the, uh, to the housing issues, as you look at Alliance Bernstein that really makes big investments in cultural activity, uh, you know, that, that, that is an expectation that this community is now projecting and those new entries to town are, are fulfilling. Carl had a lot to do with an awful lot of companies coming to town and establishing uh, that trend. So, so I would tell you the new, the new arrivals understand that, and it's built upon a legacy of the more established companies that were here already saying, you know, HCA, when HCA says you need to be engaged in the community, when Vanderbilt says you have to be engaged in the community, people listen. Yeah, well, there's an incredible history of, of, uh, of corporate responsibility and, and businesses stepping up and looking at the best interests of the city. And I use this as an example all the time when I talk about Nashville is that it speaks volumes that the Chamber of Commerce number one priority has been since I can remember, but certainly well before I was mayor and all during the time I was mayor and up to the present has been public education and they have put their, uh, you know, they've walked the walk and they continue to work on the issue when it's up and down and hard and, 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 and it's, they, they get it. So, I mean, I think we've been very lucky to have a lot of businesses here uh, in the Chamber that, that care fundamentally about the city and want to invest in the city's future. I mean, certainly championing um, public transportation um, is not all pats on the back and, uh, you know. I, I, Ralph, you I said revel in the fact that we tried a couple of times and we think the next time around, we're going to win it. Right. right. <laughs> Ralph, you, uh, you said some kind things about the World Affairs Council. Thanks for that. I, I would just like to say in return that uh, the World Affairs Council really uh, is uh, uh, built on the, the support from Belmont University and from the National Area Chamber of Commerce. Uh, big hat tip uh, to Laurie Odom, the VP for International. And the relationship we have with, uh, with the Chamber is, is fantastic, as exemplified by the hosting of the Ambassador from Japan uh, last week. Let me just uh, ask one last question uh, in that vein. What would you tell businesses about global literacy and the importance of global affairs awareness and the kinds of things that we do at the World Affairs Council to, to explain to them why, why we have a World Affairs Council in Nashville? Look, I would just say that this, the whole world is a marketplace now and it's a marketplace for Nashville and in this time of, of e-work, there, there, there's tremendous resource uh, throughout the globe. And 
honestly, I would say the World Affairs Council is that institution in Nashville that helps create the awareness of Nashville, the rest of the globe, and the awareness of Nashville by the rest of the globe. I, I, I just, I just can't, I can't emphasize enough the significance of having the Japanese ambassador in Nashville having a Japanese consul, consulate in Nashville, and frankly, all of the other traffic that we get from the uh, diplomacy staffs of other countries um, throughout the world. We'd love to have their consulate, consulate here, but you know they wear, a, they wear the path out between Atlanta and Washington, D.C., coming here to be a part of the global enterprise that Nashville has, and to promote the global enterprise that Nashville projects out to the world. So World Affairs Council is the center of that. I'm not aware of any other organization in Nashville that has taken that role on. So salute to Belmont, salute to World Affairs Council. Uh, we're happy to be partners. Well, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, Carl, unless you have something else, I'll, I'll close this out here. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been speaking with Ralph Schultz, president of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce, uh, a very uh, full conversation about what's going on in business uh, around Nashville. And we thank uh, Ralph for being with us once again. And uh, if, if Carl is uh, off on vacation, we'll, we know who to call to be uh, guest host uh, down the road. Uh, that was a great evening. Uh, again, this is uh, Global Nashville with Carl Dean. We've had a, a great conversation with Ralph Schultz. Thanks uh, to everybody who's uh, tuned in tonight. And a reminder to take a look at the Tennessee World Affairs Council website at tnwac.org, where you can become a member or make a gift to the council to support our global affairs awareness work. Again, thank you all. Everybody have a good evening. Good night.